Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Well, it's such a, a privilege to be with you all this, this evening. It's a, a, a small but personal group, and it was wonderful to be part of uh, just such a powerful worship time, remembering who our God is, a God that never fails us. I wish I could just, you know, keep that in my heart and in my mind, to remember the goodness of God that never fails us, that moves mountains. But if you're like me, this past week, I've really been struggling with sleep. You know, I, I'm a sort of person, I need the good eight hours of sleep. I, I, I know, you know, geniuses only need like four hours or something. Probably, Andrew, you're on four, I would think, you know. You're on nine, right. Well, well, I'm somebody that definitely needs eight hours of sleep. But what's happening is I go to bed and I sleep solidly for like two or three hours. And then in the middle of the night, inevitably, I wake up and then I start tossing and turning and, and stressing and worrying about all the things that I have absolutely no control over. And usually it's to do with the future. So my question for you guys is what keeps you awake in the middle of the night? If you're like me, as I said, it's, it's things like uh, maybe it's to do with work and I realize, oh gosh, I don't have enough hours in the day to get everything done or God, I really need strategy and wisdom and you know, so I toss and I turn and worry about that or, or maybe... I don't know, in your case, it could be to do with bills, bills that are piling up and you're thinking, where am I possibly going to get the money to pay all these bills? Or even I have relatives, immediate family that are are quite sick. I I literally feel some of my aunts have got one step in the grave, literally. And so I, I find myself tossing and turning and thinking about them. Or maybe it's, again, to do with, you know, the whole COVID situation, vaccinated, unvaccinated, restrictions. Uh, You know, Ken, I've got a brother who's coming from a hotspot, supposedly for Christmas. Can he actually make it? And so I find myself tossing and turning and, you know, and just counting down the hours and waking up the next morning half like a zombie, you know, and I survive on caffeine and, and sugar and, and coke and, you know, I get through the day to only start the process all over again that night where I fall asleep, sleep solidly for a few hours and then wake up again and it starts and on and on it goes. And so that has been very much the case for me this past week. But what I've found is those times, those hours during the night where I'm tossing and I'm turning and I'm, I'm literally pondering and worrying, what I find is they are often the times that I am the most activated in my prayer life. They're the times where I find in the literally God help me sleep type prayers, but where I'm praying out to God in desperation to somehow provide, to somehow work a miracle, to bring a breakthrough, to bring about his purpose and his plan in a way that I can tangibly see. And you know, 
I realize when I, I, I read the Bible, and even having Maddie, thank you, you read that so beautifully, reading that passage, I'm reminded that people like Ruth and Naomi, they are people just like you and I. They are everyday people, ordinary people, that I am sure there were many, many sleepless nights tossing and turning and stressing about the future that Naomi and Ruth went, th went through. And that's why I love the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a compelling story about an everyday family that goes through the highs and lows of life, the ups and downs, things that you know perhaps they couldn't have even begun to imagine would happen to them. And in it and through it all, they're looking for God to provide, to meet them in their desperation, to meet them in all that they're walking through. But what it really encourages me in the book of Ruth, it's only a short book, four chapters, is it's an encouraging book that shows how God is at work to bring about what I call the happily ever after ending. And I think, you know, girls, well, if you're like me, sorry, I'm being sexist here, some men as well, we like happily ever after endings. And this is a great love story. It, it ends with new love and new life, and, and it ends like with a bow, you know, you put a bow on it. It's just so beautiful. But the story certainly doesn't start that way. I don't know if you were here last week, but uh, Andrew would have unwrapped uh, chapter one. And in chapter one, it doesn't start with this happily ever after theme. It starts with tragedy and it starts with death. We see Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they, they travel to a foreign nation. They leave Israel because of a famine. And they head to this foreign nation of Moab and when they're there, their two sons, Malian and Kilian, marry Moabite women. And so they're all living nicely as a family. And then out of the blue, Elimelech just keels over and drops dead. And then the next thing, the son-in-laws also, uh, the sons, not the son-in-laws, the sons also pass away unexpectedly. And so we see these three now freshly uh, made widows not only dealing with grief, not only dealing with the trauma of losing their husband so unexpectedly, but they are also now faced with huge financial challenges and huge burdens that they couldn't have ever predicted because they had no breadwinners in the family. They were in a very precarious state. And so Naomi makes a decision that she needs to return back to Israel back to her own uh, hometown of Bethlehem. And so off she goes and her two daughter-in-laws go with her, but then one of her daughter-in-laws, Orpah, goes, well, stuff this, I'm going back to mum and dad's. I'm going back to my parents. You better be careful, you don't get a kid like that. <laughs> I'm 57 and I still do that, back to my parents, yeah? They're like, please go in Jesus' name. But, <laughs> She goes back to her parents. Could you blame her? But Ruth, Ruth says no to Naomi. She says, no, I will, I will follow you. Where you go, I go. Your God will be my God. 
God. Your people will be my people. And so we see that Naomi and Ruth returned back to Bethlehem and there's a great commotion. <gasps> Naomi's back, Naomi's back. And then Naomi, it was like a, a, a Greek tragedy. She says, no, stop. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And she says, because, in, in chapter one, verse 20, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. You know, Naomi went out full, full of hopes, full of dreams, full of possibilities, full of kind of how I feel on New Year's Day, full of expectation for what the future holds, you know, losing 20 kilos, getting fit, you know, full of possibilities. But she comes back empty destroyed, disillusioned, somehow defeated and bitter. And you know, it's so easy to see how Naomi and Ruth perhaps experience bitterness because just like you and I, it's so easy to get bitter. Some plan we've made suddenly goes haywire and things aren't the way they should be, we can get bitter. Somehow a relationship goes pear shape and you know there's conflict and it's easy to get disappointed and bitter. Somebody rips us off or, or somehow does something to us that causes us unexpected pain and hardship and we can become bitter. And that's where in the scripture it talks about our faith being careful that we don't allow a root of bitterness to grow in our lives. It's so easy to become bitter when our faith gets simply a few knocks, a few things that we weren't expecting and suddenly our confidence, our confidence in God, this is my confidence, great is your faithfulness, uh-uh, my confidence gets knocked and I become uncertain. I become uncertain because I don't understand and then that uncertainty in my faith turns to disappointment. Disappointment in God, do you even see me? Do you even care? And that's just a slippery slope to bitterness. And so, you know, just like Naomi and Ruth, they could never have imagined the events that took hold of their lives because life has a way of throwing us curveballs. Life has a way, just like in the case of Naomi and Ruth, where they went away, Naomi went away married and wealthy, and she came back widowed and poor. No social security system, no um, hope, no possibilities for the future. Alone, disadvantaged, marginalized, a life that was now one of hardship. And you know, for you and I, again, when life throws us curveballs, when we least expect it, where do we go with that? What do we do with that? When the unimaginable happens, when the trials and difficulties and tribulations come our way. You know, if you're like me in the past uh, 
weeks, I, I literally watched in disbelief, in some sense of trauma, when I saw this family, Cleo Smith's family, a name that I think many of us are familiar with, went to the blowholes. Think about it. They went to the blowholes on a camping holiday. Never in their wildest dreams could they imagine the abduction of their daughter out of the tent. And I remember watching the interviews, Cleo Smith's mother with tears in her eyes and her father with tears in his eyes, and my heart just broke, praying for this family, what they must be enduring, what they must be going through. An unimaginable thing had happened in their family. Life threw a curveball that they, I'm sure, could never have anticipated. They were broken. They were desperate, looking for answers. And we know that, thankfully, that story has a great ending where Cleo was found, and we give thanks to God for that. But you know, life throws us all curveballs. None of us know what the future holds. None of us know what tonight would, would come our way, what, what trials, what tribulations could be headed our way. Just like in the case of Ruth and Naomi, just like Cleo Smith's parents. And that's why Jesus reminds his disciples, in this life, you will, you will face troubles, you will face the unimaginable, you will face curveballs. But take heart, because he is with us throughout this unimaginable event. A few years ago, I was uh, serving in India. I used to be one of the uh, Gateway Beyond workers. I, I worked uh, for uh, 29 years on the mission field. And uh, the unimaginable happened to me. I was mopping some stairs in my apartment, and there were 14 uh, stairs, basically two flights of stairs, and I slipped on the top stairs, and let me tell you, I did not bounce down to the bottom. <laughs> I, it was not like some stunt, you know, you see them in the movies. I went and saw the James Bond movie. You know, he kind of falls downstairs and he gets back up and they then, you know, continue to fight. I fell to the bottom of the stairs and I just laid there groaning in great pain. And it ended up, I ended up in hospital in Mumbai, in Bombay for a couple of weeks and Anyway, it was a terrible ordeal because it was all down my back. I never had so many Indian doctors looking at my behind. It was quite <laughs> traumatising. So, you know, facing all of that was enough in itself. But it was a huge financial strain where suddenly I had to pay for all these medical procedures. And I never knew there were so medical procedures on one's butt, but there was. <laughs> medical procedures and, and uh, you know, huge... Uh, burden and rehabilitation process and pain that is still with me to this day as a result of that. And I could have understood if somehow, you know, I was serving in India, a missionary for Jesus, and I faced persecution and trouble and hardship for sharing the gospel, but Lord, falling down some wet steps that I mopped, like, I just don't get it. Why? What's the purpose of that? What's that all about? 
But again, in this life, we will face troubles. Stuff happens. It's often stated in a different way, but stuff (laughs) happens to good people when we least expect it. So my question to you is what are the unimaginable troubles that you're facing right now? Because I know some of you in this room are facing things that you could never have predicted would happen. And I'm sure, like Ruth and Naomi, in the midst of it, it's so easy to question, where is God? What's his purpose? God, why? Why is this happening to me? But I really believe, and I want to draw this point out, and and Liz did this, and so did Andrew in the worship. The fact is, the reality is that even in the midst of what seems the unimaginable, even in the midst of troubles and hardship, God is still at work. God still has a plan. God is behind the scenes, as it were, bringing about his ultimate sovereign plan that we can't even imagine that he would do it that way. God, even in the case of Ruth, was at work in all that she and Naomi were walking through. And we see that culminate because Ruth ends up being part of the ancestry of the birth of Christ himself. So let's unpack this a little bit. We see in this chapter that we're looking at this week that Ruth begins by making the decision to go out and to get work, to essentially provide food for both her and Naomi. And so in verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, what we need to understand, it was a cultural practice in those days. It was actually part of the Levitical laws and the Torah that God made a way for the disadvantaged and the poor and the, and the foreigners, of which Ruth was all of those things, a community system of providing for people that were in that class to go and glean the bits of leftover grain that were left after the harvesters went through. And so we see in Leviticus chapter 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. And so we see that through this law, God is providing, he is making a way for a community to take care of those that are poor and those that are disadvantaged. But Ruth's decision to go out and work, that decision to provide for food for her and her mother-in-law, that actually, behind it, sat on this Levitical foundation of God's provision through this law. 
And what we see of Ruth's decision to go out and work, we see that Ruth isn't just sitting around like somehow waiting for God to provide. Because Ruth and Naomi could have said, okay, you know, um, his promise still stands, great is his faithfulness, so let's just wait and, you know, God's going to provide. Once again, like the manna from heaven. They could have sat at home if they'd had Netflix, been watching Netflix, just kind of hanging out, waiting for God to provide. And that's like so many of us. So many of us, we take that stance of passivity. Like somehow, you know, I'm just going to sit here and wait for, for you know, God to be like the fairy godfather in Cinderella and wave his magic wand in Jesus' name. Ding! And suddenly, provision. Now, Naomi and Ruth, Ruth could have done that. She could have taken that passive stance in the time of trouble, in the time of needing God desperately to provide, waiting and waiting. But instead, we see that Ruth actively steps out in faith and partners with God's provision, with God at work. In verse three, so she went out entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And so we see that, that this decision of Ruth's to go out and glean in that particular field on that particular day was a turning point in not only her life, but the whole story. That simple decision that I'm going to go out and work, partner and trust that God is at work. Because what appears maybe to be chance, as it happened, as the scripture says, it appears to be coincidence, it appears to be luck, the luck of the Irish, or I can't do Irish accents. But it would seem like she just happens, chances upon this field, which just happens to belong to Boaz. And we find out that Boaz is part of Naomi's dead husband's family. You know, if this was a Hollywood movie, and I'm a bit of a movie uh, critic, you know, I'd be going, whoa. Whoa, way too many coincidences in this story. Not believable, yeah? But what we need to understand is there's no such thing as coincidences when it comes to God. The world wants to tell us that luck and chance and coincidences, you know, it just kind of happens. But there is no such thing with a sovereign God who rules and reigns, yet he honors the very real choices that his people make. Somehow, God's sovereignty and my responsibility go hand in hand together. And so there's no such thing because his goodness consistently chases after us. His goodness, his kindness to us is consistently at work because we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. 
who have been called according to his purpose. You know, for some of you, you need to be reminded of that tonight. If you're feeling like you're in a dark place, if you're feeling that somehow God doesn't see you, if you've fallen down two flights of stairs, I say this to myself, if you're somehow going through the unimaginable and the dark night, God's greatest work is often done in the darkest places, in the darkest tomb, in the most quietest of nights. God is at work. God is at work. And so he wants to remind us to step out, to partner with his sovereignty and our responsibility to be faithful with the things that lay before us. There are no such things as coincidences. When, when we are faithful in the small things that lay before us, we're told in the scripture, when we are faithful in the small, he graciously and generously goes before us to bring about his purposes and his plans in the big. We do the little and he does the big. You know, I love these words from St. Augustine. He says, pray as though everything depends on God, but work as though everything depends on you. God's sovereignty and our responsibility, hand in hand, partnering to bring about God's providential care in our lives. And the fact is, he is always at work. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. I tried this morning, I try again tonight to get on the music team, but uh, <laughs> what to do? I'm missing my profession in life. I should be a uh, karaoke singer. As the story continues, we see that Boaz is part of Elimelech's clan. Now, he's a man of standing. We know that because he's a wealthy man. He's got fields. He's got workers. And it just so happens, and I want to put hashtag coincidentally, that he goes to the field on that particular day. And he just so happens hashtag, coincidentally, to notice Ruth. Again, coincidences or is it God at work? And again, the, the writer of Ruth, I really believe this, he wants you and I to wrestle with these coincidences. Are they coincidences? We read that passage or is this really God behind the scenes at work meeting our needs? And again, often I believe we consider things coincidences, but they're actually God's providence. And so the story goes on and Boaz learns from his foreman who this woman is that's working in the field. And he hears about Ruth and she's a Moabite. And Boaz 
Boaz tells Ruth, stay in my field and, and stay with my workers so that no harm will come to you. And then Ruth says, why have I found such favor with you? And this is how Boaz replies. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. And so we see that Ruth stood out to Boaz. Doesn't say, you know, she was pleasing to the eye or anything like that, but she stood out to Boaz because of her loyal and her faithful commitment to her mother-in-law. Now, I don't know, Liz, I know you're married. You got a mother-in-law. All I know is there's lots of mother-in-law jokes, but I often think it's the husband's side of things, yeah, with the mother-in-law. But I think what I've heard enough is it sometimes can be a challenge with mother-in-laws, yeah? But here is Ruth, who could have taken an easier path, a path of least resistance and gone back to her parents like Orpah did. Instead, Ruth chooses the harder path. She chooses to demonstrate what Andrew talked about last week, a thing called hesed love, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking forever love and loyalty and commitment to her mother-in-law. And it's Ruth's faithful love and her clinging commitment to her mother-in-law that spoke volumes of her character. In other words, Ruth's reputation stood out to Boaz as a woman of integrity, of loyalty, of faithful love, and that's why he noticed her. That's what touched his heart. What touches the heart of the people around you? The people that are in your circle, what is the reputation you're known for? What do people say about you when you're not around? That's our reputation. Are you known as someone who's loyal, someone who's committed, someone who goes the extra mile? Or are you known as someone who's bitter, someone who's cynical, someone who's not kind or gracious? You know, in the words of Benjamin Franklin, he said, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. You know, our reputation grows from our character and character does not grow quickly. Character is built on integrity Character is built on faithfulness. Character is built on love when life circumstances want to call not character, call the easy way out, the path of least resistance. And Ruth could have let that bitterness rob her. Instead, her reputation is what was noticed. And as chapter two concludes, we read that Boaz 
is a guardian redeemer to Ruth and Naomi. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, we don't have that term in today's language, a guardian redeemer. But all that term meant in those days was it was a requirement of the law that the, the unmarried closest male relative could buy back the land that belonged to his dead relative to keep it in the family. And he also had the right to marry the widow of that dead relative. That way, if she had children, he would continue the family name, honoring the dead relative. And so we see that Boaz, not only does, is he willing to take cash out of his pocket, not only is he willing to put his money where his mouth is and buy back this land to keep it in the family of Naomi, but he's willing to marry Ruth. And Boaz, just like Ruth, demonstrates Hesed love. Amazing, undeserving, generous, loyal, faithful commitment towards Ruth. And he's moved with generosity and he's moved with goodness, not because he has to, but because he chooses to. And so Boaz is an example to you and I of how God relates to to us, just as he did with Naomi. Boaz's care, his kindness, his goodness, his generous provision towards Ruth illustrates, it's an example of God's goodness and generosity towards you and I. Boaz was no doubt an answer to those sleepless nights where Ruth and Naomi would have been tossing and turning and worrying about the future and how was God going to provide. Boaz was the answer of providential care. Boaz was the answer just as Jesus Christ came into my life when I least expected it. Undeserving, unrequited, loyalty, love, and commitment. Through Boaz, God was working to answer Naomi's prayer. And this is a crazy thing. Through Boaz, God literally changed the trajectory of Ruth's whole life and her family story. You know, I thank God that I have had a Boaz in my life. Well, I wish he was tall and handsome, but uh, I have had a Boaz in my life. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. It wasn't until the age of 21, in my last year at uni here in Brisbane, that I had someone demonstrate Hesed love, Boaz love, guardian redeemer, to reach out in the emotional mess I was in, and I know it's hard to believe because I'm such a steadfast person now. 
I was an emotional mess. Some of you are going, mm -hmm, mm, still need a bit more work. But someone reached out and shared about Jesus and shared about his love for me and his care for me and it changed the trajectory of my life. Who would have thought I'd be a missionary and now a pastor? That's just the bow on the whole thing. You know, you and I, we can all be a Boaz to someone. You and I can all stand up with Hesed love to be a Boaz to the people around us, people that are going through hardship, people that are crying out to God for provision, people that are crying out for God in their desperation to meet them. As we end the message tonight, I feel there's a need for us to, to actively respond and not passivity, but in active obedience. Is there someone that God is calling you to to be a Boaz to tonight? You two to be a Boaz too. That was a little bit, well, you get the idea. Is there someone that you can step out in generosity towards? Someone this week that God may be placing on your heart, that God has positioned you right now to say, you know what, I can make a difference in this person's life. I can step out in the generosity that's been given to me to be generous to this person. And we don't know the impact we can have on a life, the trajectory trajectory of a person's life, when we step out in active obedience, God sovereignly at work, God having a plan for that person's life, and me simply coming along and saying, here I am, God, use me, my responsibility, God's sovereignty, together impacting people's lives. And there are people in our circles who are crying out, just like Ruth and Naomi, sleepless nights. I don't know how it's going to happen, God. I don't know when it's going to happen. And God is prompting us to say, will you be a Boaz? Will you show my goodness to the people around you? Will you show my love? Because my goodness never stops. It never runs out. He is with people and for people. And so tonight, I would ask if God is prompting you, bringing to mind someone that you can be a Boaz to, I want us to, to stand, let's all just stand, as we respond with this final song. And if there is someone that you know God has put on your heart, then I'd like you, if you feel you'd like to, to, to just raise your hand right now. If there's someone that you know God has put on your heart that you can be a Boaz to. I feel like I see that hand. I feel like I'm a real pastor now. One person. Thank you. Yeah. Then keep your hand up. Keep your hand up and look around. Just look around where you are. Have a look around. Turn around, everyone. And if there's someone near you, then just lay hands on them and let's pray for them that God will use them 
throughout this week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through those doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 